Okay, so let's talk about a little bit about where we left the Putnams and uh, what they're like as a couple. Because uh, we did get to see finally a little bit of their humanity last season, specifically uh, ever with Naomi in probably what was my first or second favorite episode where uh, baby Charlotte slash Angela, because everybody has to have two names in Gilead, uh, was in the hospital yeah. with the mystery uh, health problems that she was having and you had to bring Janine in. My first impression in that episode was the fact that when Janine walked up, I was like, oh, Warren has his uh, wife and his ex-girlfriend <laughs> in the same building. Yeah, I wonder if that's a little awkward. Our modern family. Exactly. So talk to us about about that and kind of seeing the Putnams in a different light a little bit at the end of that episode, finally, after everything came through. Well, I think you saw a few things. I think you also saw their vulnerability because they thought that their daughter was going to die. And that is like the one thing that gives them, at least Lady Putnam gets a lot of power and status from having a baby so I think the thought of losing baby Angela was twofold I think she was like kind of feeling love for the first time and losing her daughter and then the like major fear of losing status because she wouldn't have a baby anymore for Warren what was the mindset going into that episode what, give us a little window into the character there and what he what he thinks and what he has going on I mean I think one of the things that this show does really really well which is what makes it so harrowing is that People are real. The vi- even the villains have humanity to them. There, there's connection. It's what makes it scarier than anything else. That if they were just purely black and white villains, I, I don't think you would feel the same fear because you wouldn't think that we might be able to fall into this with a couple of wrong decisions in the world right now. Right. So Warren, I think, I think he did connect with Janine in my personal assessment. And I think he does connect with his wife. And I do think he feel he felt in that episode, a kind of torn between two lovers with a duty and an entire society behind one relationship, and then a kind of guilt and authoritarianism behind the others. And then in the very center of it was this idea that there was this little person and the little person was probably most likely at that point in time, going to die. And, you know, how, how did we just get moment to moment? And, you know, it, playing those moments, it was it was different than I thought. Did you think that episode played out differently? Yeah, I mean, the thing that happened to me last season, every time we were at work, I would kind of look around and I wouldn't think of this preparing, but then I would get on set and I was like, wow, everybody's miserable in Gilead. Like, this isn't, they didn't exactly do everything right. Everybody's miserable. Everybody's kind of tuning into that. And then they just have to kind of push it down. Like, even Angela wouldn't be alive still if not for the Putnam's basically falling asleep and Janine following maternal instinct, which is like almost completely forbidden in Gilead. Right. We had these really fantastic Anne Crabtree costumes at one point, which were these all white sort of like, they were like, we were like giant cotton swabs, <laughs> but we were like covered. They were, there was so nothing, like there was no skin to skin. Like if you had all of this stuff on, you probably couldn't even feel that you were cradling a baby. Like it was the least maternal, paternal, parental thing to wear to, to hold a, ba- a, a baby yeah. lovingly. But at the same time, a, kind of, a like, kind of command to be maternal. To right. Be like look how prepared I am. <laughs> I have all my gear on. It's super interesting, and I I agree with what you both said. You know, the humanity of all the characters last season kind of came out, and much to, I think, some of the audience's chagrin kind of 
into the villains, like Stephen was saying, everybody from Serena to you, you both, and to a certain extent, a lot of people who demonized Eden, which kind of came back to bite everybody. I think a lot of people were annoyed by that character. And I thought it was really interesting to watch the turn that everyone had to take when she ends up being kind of the catalyst for the events at the yeah. end of the season. I forget, I think it was June who says about how we're all like, a, does she say that we're in a, a frog in a bathtub and if you turn up the temperature, the frog will... will yeah, if will, you're in, even in a slowly warming bathtub, you'll eventually boil, boil which I think is from Atwood's book. Right. I think that's the direct... But it reminds me of that, that all of these people at one point started off in kind of lukewarm water and they kept turning up the temperature right. and... And you can kind of look at every single one of these people as just trying to get through the world. Now, where they are in the social strata means different different choices, but they're still people. All right, guys, I'm going to take a little break. I'm going to tell you about a brand new sponsor to the show. Take a listen. Hey, Mayday listeners. It's Sarah. Just wanted to tell you about a product that I recently came across called Lola, which is essentially modern feminine care. They use quality products in their tampons, pads, liners, wipes, all that stuff that are organic and chemical-free and fragrance and synthetic and dye-free, which has always been really important to me. Also, their subscription is fully customizable and you can choose your mix of products, which is really important because everybody's body is different and it changes over the years as well. I know personally, I always forget about my period. So I'm really happy to have a situation where it gets delivered to me because as the only woman in my house, I need it delivered because I can't, <laughs> I can't seem to remember it. Uh, without it. So I really do love the convenience of the fact that it's delivered to your door. All the ingredients are transparent. And also it's founded by women and for women, which is really important because we know the deal. So if you want to get in on this deal, it's 40% off to all Mayday listeners. If you visit mylola.com, that's M-Y-L-O-L-A.com and enter the promo code Mayday when you subscribe. So Definitely get on top of that, especially if you're a person who never seems to remember to get the products that you need and there's no backup in your house. But also if you're a person who cares about what you put in your body and what it's made of and all of those important things. Again, that's mylola.com, M-Y-L-O-L-A.com, promo code MAYDAY. Now for Naomi and Warren specifically, at the end of season two, let's uh, let's rewind and see where they're at. We did have the execution of Eden and Isaac uh, kind of being this catalyst for uh, several events that took place. We saw Naomi and Serena kind of rally the wives together and uh, get them going to confront, uh, as I put it, the creepy congress of men that meet in the dark uh, to persuade them to allow for their for women and specifically daughters to be able to read. So I know that at least it seemed in the scene that Serena clearly did not explain her full plan um, with reading the Bible. So talk about that scene and what that kind of means moving forward, in your opinion, for the wives as a whole being a unified front, and what that leads to. Well, I think it was interesting because that in that scene, we all start unified and none of us knew that she was going to read from the Bible and then she kind of unwraps the Bible and begins to read. And when many of the wives see that she's reading, they leave her there. Right. So coming into season three, Serena is dealing with half of the women that were standing behind her left the room. Obviously, his character is sitting on the leadership of Gilead. And I assume, and I, I, I 
couch that a little bit with this show because you never quite know who knows what that Fred and Warren did not know about the plan other than to let Serena make her presentation. Having testified in that same spot the year earlier and then ended up with right. my one hand Man, off. Serena. I, just, I was like trying to warn her. I was like, don't stand up under that one light. It's not going to go well for you to, to approach the diet. But yeah, I mean, all the men are exposed. I mean, that's often a part of male backlash and, and energy is when they feel compromised by by the women. And certain- because none of them in that scene could stand up for Serena. No, right. right. You kind of did. I feel like Warren kind of did. I did. I sort of, I said we should have, I mean, but I think. With your I, one hand. With my one hand, one I, hand I raised my table. one hand in support. <laughs> but I mean, I think that part of that is the more you railed against it, also, you could argue that the more legitimacy we were giving that argument as opposed to a kind of a make it seem like not a very, you know, well thought out protest. No, it's interesting without getting into what what happens in season three, because the writers are certainly dealing with it. But yeah, everybody gets compromised by that. And again, like we said earlier, those things will have repercussions. Everything in Gilead has repercussions for sure. So what I did want to talk to you about, because I know we're kind of limited on time. It was my hope, and I am sure it was yours this season, for season three and the world, the real world that we live in, to not resemble so much of your fictional world of Gilead. So I know both of you have been fairly outspoken politically about the situations that are going on across the country and the world. So tell me what it's like now. I know Ever and I had this conversation last time when we did our interview about really being able to step away from the set and kind of come out of that dark place when the world around you is kind of creeping more towards it, how how do you manage those two things and deal with what is happening around you offset? I, I always remember coming to the, the audition of this before the election. I think that that's how it timed out and feeling one specific way about what the material and the experience would be. And then the election happened and I arrived in Canada and it was a completely different rallying cry about why this show now and what, our purpose was. And remember, we shot the bridge episode nine with baby Angela and Janine was going to throw the baby in the water. That was the last day of Obama's presidency right. and the first day of Trump. Right. It was over the like the Monday, Friday or whatever right. it was. And there's something strangely uh, prescient about these writers that they will write something and then it will happen, whether yeah. it be immigration you know, a woman's march, whatever it might be, they, they sort of put it into the ether and somehow it gets picked up in the real world. I, I will say that I, I think that the same thing that happened at the end of season two with the women kind of stepping up and saying, no, we're not going to necessarily take it all. We saw in these midterm elections, not to get too political, sure. but like there the, the amount of people that were elected this time resemble nothing like ever before in, in our country. And so possibly the rubber did hit the road and maybe things change because we are exploring it. And, you know, the light is defined by the dark and the dark often defined by the light. And, you know, it gives me a real sense of purpose when I come to work here to know that it's providing an outlet for people dealing with the kind of daily political horrors that we have. And, you know, I posted a picture on Instagram of Christine Baldy Ford and Serena Joy, like as a side by side, standing in front of the row of men giving testimony. 
And that, like, it's got the most comments of any Instagram picture I've ever done. People, yeah, screaming and yelling at me and so angry with me. And then other people being like, this is so right on. So it just sort of shining a light on it really also shines a light on how divided everybody is. I will say there was the scene at the Kavanaugh hearing when Jeff Flake walked out and went to the elevator and those incredible women like accosted him right yes. there. Yeah. And to me to be right out of an episode. Of <laughs> totally. Yeah. Like those could have been a Connell Wives. Yeah. Right? They could have been a Connell yeah. Wives or, or it could have been a flashback of a moment before. So, and, you know, it takes incredible bravery, like the bravery of, you know, the heroes on this show, um, the, the personalities. I've said to the writers though, I'm like, you guys seem to be ahead of, the future here like can you write about the resistance and something positive coming out of all this thing if, if you're giving people a roadmap like let's make the roadmap Gilead little... opens a chocolate yeah. factory yeah. really good Gilead ice cream no I, I agree and I, you know it's incredible and we did get the opportunity to interview uh, some of the writers last season and it was just crazy that the things that were happening like you said were just very timely to a sickening degree and so I hope that uh, things, as you said, are trending upward with uh, the midterm elections. That can only be a positive thing, in my opinion. Remember Bruce Miller said in one of his speeches, he was like, I'd like nothing more than our... Hey, everybody. It's Justin. Before we get into the podcast, I want to tell you all about FabFitFun one more time. You can visit them at FabFitFun.com. They are a premium seasonal subscription box. Currently, they are taking subscriptions for the winter box. We might have one to give away very soon. Never know. Uh, keep an eye out for that. You want to go to fabfitfun.com and use your coupon code MAYDAY to get a discount on your first box. You can also check out all of the things that they have for the box. They use full-size, not samples, full-size beauty, lifestyle, and fitness products. You'll definitely want to check this out. Definitely a good idea for a gift idea for the holiday season coming up. So check it out. Once again, fabfitfun.com. Use the coupon code MAYDAY. Hey, everybody. It's Justin. Welcome to the newest episode of Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. Today on the podcast, you're going to get an interview with Ever Carradine and Stephen Kunkin. You know them better as Naomi and Warren Putnam from The Handmaid's Tale. They were the judges for our individual category of our costume competition this year. Uh, pretty awesome. We appreciate them doing that. And so we'll talk to them about all things Putnam on The Handmaid's Tale. First, we again want to thank everyone that entered our costume competition. The entries this year were a lot of fun and really stepped up the game. So thank you very much for that. And of course, one last time, we need to thank our sponsors. And again, most of these sponsors are female-owned small businesses. So please check them out if you're on the hunt for a gift this holiday season or for something for yourself to treat yourself. Uh, so we want to thank the Beehive Atlanta, Fan Mail, Feminist Sticker Club, our author Mary Wissinger, Feminist Pencil Project, and Hulu, of course. Uh, we could not have done any of this without them. Uh, there's no contest and there's no prizes without our sponsors, so we thank them very much. And, of course, thank to all of you who uh, have followed us on social media and checked this out and all of those who entered. We appreciate the competition being another success this year. Now, uh, the last thing we need to do is thank Lizzie Hale. She was our uh, group category judge. She, of course, is the lead singer and rhythm guitar player for the band Hailstorm. They are currently out on the road right now with a all-female bill of rock bands, which is very rare and super awesome. We had a chance to check them out. They were in town here in St. Louis last night, and it was absolutely a phenomenal show. So please go check them out uh, if you get a chance. Go to hailstormrocks.com for more tour dates and more information. It's an absolutely incredible show. Three female fronted rock bands for the evening. It's a rare and awesome thing to see, so we want to support that. So hailstormrocks.com for more information. 
Now, as always, we want to start things off with the Handmaid's Tale news to see what's going on with the show and uh, all things Handmaid's Tale. We had a big story this week. The biggest of the big stories. Totally out of the blue. The announcement was made that Margaret Atwood is in the process of writing a sequel for The Handmaid's Tale. Yes, for those of you not on social media, that is what I said. Sequel to The Handmaid's Tale. And here is the description from the publisher. When the van door slammed on Offred's future at the end of The Handmaid's Tale, readers had no way of telling what lay ahead of her. Freedom, prison, or death. With the Testaments, the wait is over. Margaret Atwood's sequel picks up the story 15 years after Offred stepped into the unknown with the explosive testaments of three female narrators from Gilead. Dear readers, everything you've ever asked me about Gilead and its inner workings is the inspiration for this book. Well, almost everything. The other inspiration is the world we've been living in. Margaret Atwood. So there you go. Uh, huge news. So you are able to pre-order your copy of the testaments, the sequel to The Handmaid's Tale, which is scheduled for release be published on September of 2019. So if you go to any of our social media, you will find the story. It will be pinned at the top. You can pre-order through Amazon and get your copy reserved. So again, not till September 2019, but it is coming. Sequel to The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood called The Testaments. Huge news. Uh, so that's what we're going to leave it as. There was also some more Season 3 news. If you go check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, you might uh, learn a little something about what's going on with Season 3. Uh, Bruce Miller and Warren Littlefield had a little something to tell us. And uh, as always, if you go check out social media, there may or may not be a bunch of pictures from the production as people are taking pictures as they film in their workplaces and apartments and in public in, Cana in Canada. So go check that out. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Handmade Podcast. Now, on to the main part of the podcast. Our interview with Ever Carradine and Stephen Kunkin, the Putnams. Enjoy. Thanks, everybody. Hey everyone, it's Justin. Welcome to a very special May Day interview. As most of you know, we are in the process of wrapping up the second annual Handmaid's Tale costume competition. Last week, we announced our winners in the group and pet categories. Uh, many great entries, so we appreciate everyone who entered. And uh, we ha still have outstanding the individual category. And when we were trying to figure out who was going to judge this for us, we thought, uh, who better to judge anything, let alone people who are going to be dressed as handmaids, than the judgiest couple in Gilead. And so we uh, are speaking, of course, of Naomi and Warren Putnam, and we took a flyer to see if possibly we could get them to uh, judge our costume competition. So, without further ado, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Ever Carradine and Stephen Kunkin to the show. How are you guys doing? Hi, we're good. Fantastic. Thank you for having us. Now, Ever, this is a welcome back for you because we did have the pleasure to interview you last season. Uh, so welcome back yes, to the show. And Stephen, welcome to your first time on Mayday the Handmaid's Tale podcast. We really appreciate you guys taking the time to join us. I know production's going on right now. So tell us about uh, how's Toronto? I have two hands right now because we're on lunch break. <laughs> Does it feel good to have two hands? What's it like working with one hand? Uh, the working with one hand can can be interesting. Um, sometimes I need ever to like do if I have to reply to a text or something. The one handing texting can get difficult. Shoe tying. I've shoe tied, tying. I've tied shoes. Ever has tied my shoes. Mm -hmm. um, it keeps me legit at craft services though. I can't do quite the same damage with one hand that I can do with two on the M and Ms and stuff. But I think that's probably okay. 
Now, in preparing for having one hand, did you do like some method acting? Did you like go around with one, you know, hand tied behind your back or something for several months at a time to prepare for that? Or how did you go about that? No, you know, I think Warren is was so taken off guard by it in the same way that uh, that I, I was. So um, I think he tries to hold it proudly and not call a lot of attention to it, as opposed to some people who are who really figure out how to uh, live in the world in a in forward looking way. I think Warren kind of just kind of keeps it still and doesn't call a lot of attention to his his indiscretions. Now, now, what was your impression when you got the script that said you were going to lose an arm? And how far in advance did you know? Um, how far in advance did we know that? That's a good question. Probably a few weeks when we got the script. And then I think initially there was a draft where Naomi asked for light punishment. And then in the actual script that they shot, they cut that scene where I was to go and plead with Waterford um, to make it not a harsh punishment. And then I think they made it that I asked for the harshest one, which is That's like right. way more interesting and way more Naomi. I, I thought. I mean, I remember being in this brutal world. I was like, partly like, oh God, what are they going to cut off? <laughs> you know, when I saw it, I didn't know what it was, what I was headed for. So part of me was relieved when it was just, you know, I was like, oh, the hand, I we can, that'll be easy to live in the world there. But you know, it's it, it was. I found it really exciting in the sense that you know, in this world, there are consequences to people's actions. And, you know, you see it. it the Obvious one. Yeah, there are some real walking wounded up here. And right. it's really exciting to work on a show where they're just not going to chastise you and, like, point a finger at you and then kick it down the road. And, yeah, it's always at 11. Like, it's always turned up to 11. Yeah, there's no uh, there's no slap on the wrist. They're actually taking the wrist. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yep. Or the eye. It was one of the, I will say it was one of the coolest scenes I've ever had to film because they, on the day of the shoot, they had, they had actually hired a real surgeon uh, a real anesthesiologist and a real uh, male nurse to perform that surgery. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and they, and they had built my fake arm was incredible. And I could feel the entire surgery, which they did with surgical precision, no pun intended. <laughs> and you could feel the vibration in, with the with the bone saw. I could feel it in my shoulder blade. And it was, you know, as I did it, one of the nurse, because I was actually attached to a uh, a heart rate machine and he was like wow your heart rate's actually going up and <laughs> like, oh, you know the method and it's actually you're a little close to my to me with the, the real sauce so. that's crazy uh so now before we get too far into things i did find a, a stephen Kunkin fun fact that i needed to address uh, in my research oh, hold on. so uh correct me if any of, of what i'm about to say is incorrect you are married to jen thompson who is a very successful actress and director in the theater community you have an adopted correct. daughter, and this is where the fun fact comes in, and her name is Naomi. And so I need to know yeah. how, how <laughs> it, was that a coincidence? And how weird is that to have going on in, in, in your real life and crossing over into the show? You know, that's a great question. Naomi, my daughter Naomi is nine years old, so it predates, it predates my job on this show. And Naomi, my daughter, was named after my grandmother on my father's side, Naomi Kunkin. Um, so that's an isolated truth unto itself. And then the fact that the new Naomi came into my life is very interesting and more confusing at home or on set than <laughs> anything else. I'm like, I got to call Naomi. And so people are like, oh, I ever? And I'm like, no, I actually have to call call Naomi. And so, so now we refer to each other as Putnam when we call one. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> Simplifies. Am, am I Putnam in your I think phone? You're Putnam. That's so good. 
Well, you know, I'm sure Ever remembers this because she enjoys this very much. You can always change her contact information to Lady Putnam, which is what we call her on the show. I, I call you Lady Putnam. You do call me Lady Putnam sometimes. <laughs> I do like Lady Putnam a lot. How can you not? It is, it's the most unfitting usage of the word lady. <laughs> <laughs> She's so godly. But I think she fancies herself a lady. Yes, I agree. Absolutely, she does.